0: In a book that he co-authored called The Gospel at Work, Sebastian Traeger tells the story of his first business. He says that, "...I started my first business in high school. A family friend asked me one day if I'd be interested in getting paid to seal his deck. I went to the hardware store and got lessons on how to use all the tools necessary to do the job." Power washers, stains, seals, techniques, the whole nine yards. I did the job for him, and as I was working, inspiration hit. Rather than just enjoy the spoils of one afternoon's work, I decided to print up flyers and plaster the neighborhood with them. Professional deck sealing. Within a day, I'd secured two more jobs, my fledgling startup was off the ground. My driving goal in this business was not to provide superior service or even to beautify the neighborhood, much less to glorify God through a job well done. My goal was to seal as many decks as possible in as little time as possible for as much money as possible and with as little effort as possible. The end of the story is not good. My maniacal focus on speed, cost, and ease made for some pretty shoddy work. I didn't think it was necessary to move potted plants, for instance, (laughs) before sealing the decks. So a few of my customers discovered unsealed circles on their decks when they moved their pots in the fall. I chose not to protect the sides of the house either, and so I ended up leaving a shiny streak at the base of the brick. To my embarrassment, more than one customer had to ask me to redo the job and warn me to clean up my filthy mess when I was done. Of course, at the most basic level, this was just bad business practice. Because I was doing such a terrible job, my business was inevitably going to suffer. Yet as inadvisable as such shoddiness on the job may be from a purely business perspective, the more important issue was my heart. I believed that Mediocre work was okay. The quality of my work didn't really mean anything to me. It was simply a means to an end, a way to get money and serve my own selfish needs and desires. We are doing a sermon series based on the book of Proverbs, and we are studying some of the most significant themes or topics that emerge as we read through the book. Last week, the topic we studied was words, And our topic this morning is work. As we consider what the scripture teaches regarding work, I think it's important for us to avoid thinking about work narrowly in terms of what we do at a place of employment or with a business that we run. Of course, it is essential that we apply God's teaching on work to the work we do at a place of employment, or with a business we run. However, not all of us have a job of that nature. Some of us here are students, and our primary work would be our schoolwork, maybe practicing an instrument, practicing for a play, or practicing the sport that we play and chores around the house. Some of us here are retired, and you still have work to do. You still have work to do in managing your house, maybe using extra time to volunteer and serve others. For some who are are retired, their work involves helping with grandkids. Some of us here are homemakers who have a ton of work to do that ranges from paying bills to changing diapers, doing the laundry, making meals, fixing things around the house. My point is that God's word regarding work applies to all of us because even if we don't have an employer or business, we all work. Of course, as followers of Jesus, we are all called to do the work of the ministry and engage in the mission of the church. All the saints, every believer is, in, is called to engage in the work of the ministry. Within the life of the church, you have a job to do. We all have work to do, and the Lord has important things to teach us about work. As we consider the theme of work, one thing that should stand out to us is that the very first verse of the Bible introduces us to God and describes him as a worker. In Genesis 1-1 we read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The rest of Genesis 1 tells us about God's work in creation in greater detail. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, we read, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Of course, while he rested from his work in creation on the seventh day, that did not mean that he was finished working altogether. During his earthly ministry, Jesus was critiqued for healing a man on the Sabbath, in John chapter 5, verse 17, we read, But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. Our Heavenly Father is not passive. He did not create the world and then stand back and hope for the best. No, He is active, He is engaged, and He is working. Moreover, His work is comprehensive and exhaustive. In Ephesians 1.11 We read, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. He is working and He is working all things according to His will. Going back to Genesis 1, we see that at the pinnacle of God's creation, He made man male and female, in his image. As those who have been made in his image, we were created to work. When God created man, he gave them a mandate, which we read in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. We read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. From the beginning, God gave the man and woman a job to do. The job included filling the earth through procreation, subduing the earth, and exercising dominion over the earth. Genesis chapter 2 tells the creation story, but from another perspective. In Genesis 2, we see that Adam was created first. In Genesis 2.15, before Eve was created, we read, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. But mercifully, the Lord did not wait long before he created Eve. Verse 18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Working was good. Working alone was not good. God gave Adam a job to do and a helper to work with him. So from the beginning, we see that God is a worker. God created us in his image. An important part of being made in the image of God is that we were created to work. I hope we can all see that work is not a necessary evil Rather, it is good. Unfortunately, like everything else in all creation, work has been tainted by sin. Adam and Eve enjoyed the work God had given them until they rebelled against God, until they disobeyed his good command, until they rejected him as their lord and king. When they disobeyed God, sin entered the world. And we have been experiencing the consequences of sin ever since. One of the consequences of sin is in the frustration that we now experience with work. We see this in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. After he sinned, God spoke to Adam Into dust you shall return. Ever since sin entered the world, work has become difficult, frustrating, hard, less enjoyable. But thankfully, that is not the end of the story. God has promised the day will come when the curse will be removed, and we will enjoy God's presence free from sin and all its effects, including the effects that sin has on work. Listen to the beautiful picture we're given in Revelation chapter 22, verses one through five. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Nothing will be a curse, which means work will be fully enjoyable and deeply satisfying. Paul Stevens, who was a professor at Regent College, writes, our final destiny is not a workless utopia, but a renewed world in which we will work with infinite creativity and fulfillment. Work in the new heaven and new earth will be all that good work was intended to be. And Russell Gerland said, Just imagine what our work could be like in the new creation without the pain, frustration, stress, difficulty, unpredictability, sweat, and interpersonal conflict between sinners that we currently experience in our labor due to the fall. Whatever your best moments of work have been, the most enjoyable, satisfying, and rewarding moments will not compare with what we will experience when we work in the new heaven and the new earth. We look forward to working in a way that is ultimately, entirely good and glorious. That is the future that awaits those who are in Christ Jesus. But for now, between the fall and the arrival of the new heavens and earth, we experience both the goodness of work and the frustration of work. With this in mind, we look Proverbs. Specifically, what does Proverbs teach us about work as we live as the Lord's people in a sinful world, eagerly awaiting the new heavens and the new earth where work will be pure joy? What we see in Proverbs and all of Scripture is that there is a greater emphasis on the kind of worker you are than the kind of work you do. It's not that the kind of work we do is unimportant. It's not that it doesn't matter to the Lord. Indeed, there are types of work that are unethical, immoral, that are not pleasing to the Lord. But as followers of Jesus, we need to understand that we do not need to be passionate about the work we do to glorify God. There seems to be an emphasis, a pressure on only doing work that you're passionate about. And of course, that's a good thing. It's a good thing to be passionate about the work that you do but we don't need to be passionate about the work that we do in order to glorify God. We can glorify God in whatever work we do, whether it's a formal job or all of the other kinds of work. The Lord cares very much about the kind of worker you are, and to help us understand the kind of worker the Lord wants us to be, Proverbs speaks to how we work and why we work. Through Proverbs, the Lord teaches us how we are to work and gives us some of the reasons as to why we are to work. First, let's consider how we are to work. Proverbs speaks positively and negatively regarding how we are to work. Often we see a juxtaposition between the positive and negative in the same verse. There's the commendable example and there's the example that is not commendable. For example, we see that we are to work diligently, not lazily. We have already seen Solomon condemn laziness in chapter 6 where he rebuked the sluggard, the one who chooses sleep rather and rest rather than hard work. He told the sluggard to learn a lesson from the ant because the ant works hard, prepares, and gathers without being told what to do. The sluggard is juxtaposed with the ant because the sluggard rests while the ant gets after it. The, this theme continues and develops in the rest of the book. In chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, we read, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest... Is a son who brings shame. Diligence is upheld as virtuous, while slackness is condemned as shameful. In Proverbs, we see laziness spoken of in terms of the sluggard, a slack hand, choosing sleep over work, and being slothful. Sebastian Traeger and Greg Gilbert describe slackness as measures taken by a person to only do the minimum required to get through the day. This is not the kind of work we want to do. We don't want to be people who are merely doing the minimum required to get through the day. Rather, we please the lord and we honor him when we are diligent in whatever tasks, whatever responsibilities, whatever work the lord has given us. We also see laziness referred to as empty words. 14:23 says, "In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty." We want to be careful that we Don't merely talk about all the things we plan to do, but then never follow through. The Lord doesn't want us to be mere talkers, but doers. He doesn't want us just to skate by, doing the minimum required of us. No, the Lord calls us to be diligent, to follow through in all that we do. We also see that we are to work honestly and not deceptively. When the Lord gave the law to the Israelites, he forbid dishonest practices in business dealings in Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy chapter 25 among other places and Proverbs emphasizes that the Lord hates such practices 11.1 we read a false balance is an abomination to the Lord but a just weight is his delight similarly 2023 says unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord and false scales are not good and in 11:18 we read the wicked earns deceptive wages but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. We saw last week the Lord hates lying and deception in our speech and we see here that he hates dishonest and deceptive practices in our work and business dealings. Have you ever been on the receiving end of someone's dishonest or unethical practices? It's terrible. Don't you hate the feeling of being ripped off or being taken advantage of? Or when you count on someone to do something they say they will do, but they don't follow through? Well, no one should feel that way in their dealing with us. The Lord wants us to be honest and fair in all that we do. In the Lord there is no deception, there are no lies, there is no dishonesty, and we as his people who are made in his image, likewise, should conduct our work in a way that is honest, that is forthright, that is faithful. We deal honestly and fairly because that reflects the character and nature of the Lord. In Proverbs, we also see that we are to work patiently and not hastily. In chapter 13, verse 11, we read, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Do you ever daydream of getting rich quickly? Maybe winning the lottery, receiving an unexpected inheritance, or coming up with an idea that will get you a lot of money in a short amount of time? Well, the Lord cautions us against quick gain and commends patience and perseverance in our work. We will see rewards when we faithfully carry out our work little by little, day by day. Ray Ortland writes, Here is how God doesn't provide the lottery and all get-rich-quick schemes. But how does God get us ahead? Little by little. That is, by our patient, intelligent efforts over a lifetime. Not by windfalls, but by handfuls. We need to patiently pers- persist and persevere in the work that, the God- that God has given us. Day by day, the little things, the little tasks, the little responsibilities, doing those things over and over again, being faithful patiently enduring, knowing that the Lord sees and the Lord rewards. Much more could be said about how we are to work, but for now, we see that in whatever work the Lord has given you, you will glorify him as you work diligently, honestly, and patiently. The second aspect of work that we will consider is our motivation Or why we work. Proverbs doesn't give us every reason we should work. In other words, it doesn't speak exhaustively to the motivation of those who fear the Lord. But it does give us some important uh, examples. First, and perhaps most obviously, we work for profit. Again, we've already seen how Solomon connects laziness to poverty. Again, in 10, 4, and 5, he says, A slack hand causes poverty. But the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. And 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Throughout Proverbs, working hard and earning profit is commended. We do this in direct ways, and indirect ways. We do this in direct ways, doing certain work whereby we are paid directly for that work. We do this in indirect ways uh, in a whole number, with a whole number of examples. By look, finding ways to save money. By just being faithful stewards of what the Lord has given us. Studying hard. At our, in, in our studies, so that we have opportunities down the road, taking care of a home so that later you can sell it for a profit. There are all kinds of ways that we can earn money, both directly and indirectly. And Proverbs speaks about this positively. It speaks positively to being diligent and earning a profit. It is good to work hard to earn and save money. But the beauty of Proverbs is that we also find words of wisdom that warn against making an idol of work and making an idol of wealth. If someone is tempted to use the verses in Proverbs regarding working hard and making money to justify being a workaholic or chasing wealth, there is an antidote for that. Listen to chapter 23, verses 4 and 5. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. It is good to work hard, but you need to know when to stop. Be discerning enough to desist. Don't you love how the word that Proverbs has a word of rebuke for the sluggard and the work and the workaholic? If you're lazy, Proverbs rebukes you. If you're a workaholic, Proverbs rebukes you. We are to be people who work hard, who are diligent, but who also know how and when to stop. This is the Lord's wisdom. For us, it is good to work, but it is not good to work in such a way that you are consumed with getting wealthy. And if you're tempted to chase after worldly wealth, have the wisdom to see the fleeting nature of money and material goods. It is fleeting, like we see in 23.5. It's there for a moment, but then it sprouts wings and flies away from you. It's there, and then it's gone. It does not last. Don't waste your life by working excessively to gain that which will not last. One of the important ways we do this is by recognizing that making a profit is good, but not an end in itself, we make a profit so that we can provide. It's another motivation we see in Proverbs. We work hard to earn a profit so that we can provide. Providing for ourselves and our family is a good thing. In chapter 12, verse 11, we read, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. But he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. In 3115, working hard and providing for the family are commended with the description of the wife, which reads, She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. Working hard to provide for your needs and the needs of your family is a good thing. Even if you are not passionate about your work, even if you feel... Like your work is insignificant, even if you don't think much of your daily tasks and chores. God is glorified when you work to provide. Don't think lightly about earning a paycheck to provide a home, preparing a meal to provide food. Doing laundry to provide clean clothes. Helping with education to provide future opportunities. Doing yard work to provide beauty to be enjoyed. Helping with this building to provide a place for us to gather. Teaching someone the word to provide spiritual nourishment. The Lord wants us to work hard to provide. This takes on many forms. When we provide, we reflect God's character and nature as he is the one who provides for us. He graciously and generously provides. When we provide, we do so with humility and gratitude. We do so with humility knowing that we are only able to provide in so much as that the Lord provides for us. Our ability to provide depends wholly on the Lord. Therefore, we do not become prideful in our own ability to provide. And we're grateful knowing that the Lord is the one who graciously gives us opportunities to provide. So as we work hard to provide, we do so with humility and gratitude. We also see that it is good to work hard to make a profit so that we can give. Chapter 22, 9 says, Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. 1917 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. The Lord is pleased when we are eager to give and help people in need. The Lord loves it when we are excited to work hard and earn to save money so that we help others. When our motivation to work is to give, we are growing in our sanctification. We are becoming more like Christ. We will do this when we love the Lord more than we love stuff, and when we embrace the truth that it is more blessed to give than to receive. How can you be generous with your time, your money, and your energy? How can you use whatever the Lord has given you, your money, your your energy, your time, your skills, whatever it is, how can you use these things to be generous toward others? Remember, the Lord is exceedingly generous toward us. Ephesians 1 tells us that he blesses us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. He doesn't bless us with some spiritual blessings, but with every spiritual blessing blessing. And in Romans 8:32 we read, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The Lord is generous toward us beyond measure. We cannot measure his generosity. He did not spare his only son, but gave him to us. How will he not give us also all things? Brothers and sisters, we all have work to do. The Lord cares about how we work and why we work. If you are tempted to think that your work is insignificant or futile, Or a waste of time, know that when you work in the way that the Lord wants, for the reasons the Lord wants, He is pleased with you. That is no small thing. Your work is not insignificant to Him, and He is glorified in you. As we work, it is good for us to remember the work the Lord has done for us. As I said earlier, while he was on earth, Jesus said, My Father is working until now, and I am working. His work included proclaiming the gospel and calling people to repentance and faith in him. His work included healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, feeding the hungry, and giving sight to the blind. At one point, he worked so hard that he literally slept through a violent storm at sea. Of course, his work also included suffering and dying on the cross. The night before he was crucified, Jesus prayed, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. As Jesus prepared to face the cross, he prayed, He prayed that this cup would pass from him. He was using imagery from the Old Testament that referred to God's wrath being poured out. This is the cup of which he spoke. When he went to the cross, Jesus not only died an excruciating death, but the wrath of God was poured out on him for the sins of his people. As you can imagine... Jesus was not excited about this. He was not eager to do this. If there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Yet he submitted himself to the Lord. Not my will be done, but your will be done. It was a tough job. It was a painful job. He was not excited about the job, but he was willing to do the job. He did it for us. If you're ever tempted to complain or grumble about the work that is before you about the work the Lord has given you I would encourage you to remember the work that Christ has done for you we're all guilty we're all guilty of complaining or grumbling about whatever work we have to do as followers of Jesus, we would do well to remember his work for us. That is a cure for complaining and grumbling about our work. Right before he died on the cross, Jesus said, It is finished. His work of making atonement for Our sins was finished at the cross. It was complete. There are no more sacrifices required to make atonement for our sin. Because he made atonement for our sin at the cross once and for all. His finished work at the cross paid the price for our sins, past, present, and future Friend, if you are not a Christian, we are glad that you are here. We hope that you will come to know Jesus. You need to know Jesus just as the rest of us need to know Jesus. The reason being is we've all sinned against God. We've all sinned against God. We've all disobeyed his good commands. None of us have lived up to his perfect standards. None of us have even lived up to our own imperfect standards. We're honest. We're all guilty. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short. And the bad news is that no amount of work will be good enough to solve our sin problem. No amount of work can restore our relationship with God, our creator, our maker. But God in his mercy and in his kindness provided Jesus, the son of God, As the savior of the world. And Jesus came into the world to do the work of saving sinful people like you and me. And he did so by living a life without sin, which we've all failed to do. And then he went to the cross to take the punishment we deserve in our place, to absorb the wrath of God that we deserve for us. He made atonement for our sins at the cross. After he died, he was buried. On the third day he rose again and he conquered death. And he appeared to many people proving that he is alive. And after 40 days he ascended into heaven where he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again. There will be a day of final judgment where every single one of us will have to give an account to God, our creator. Our only hope at the final judgment is not our work but the finished work of Christ on our behalf. You see, because Christ died and rose again, everyone who believes in him, everyone who repents of their sin and believes in Christ will be saved. And we do not have to fear the final judgment. If you're not a Christian, I exhort you to believe in Jesus. Be saved even though he has finished his work of atoning for the sins of his people jesus continues to work for us in romans 8:34 we read who is to condemn christ jesus is the one who died and more than that was raised who is at the right hand of god who indeed is interceding for us jesus continues his work of interceding for us when you are weary When you are disheartened, when you feel like your work is not getting anywhere or producing any good fruit, remember Jesus is praying for you. He does not give up, He does not grow weary, He perseveres in praying for you. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters. His work now is the work of interceding for us in our confidence. That we will make it to the finish line is in Him. Philippians 1 6 says, And I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is the one who began a good work in us, and He is the one who will bring it to completion. He did not save us because of our good works. And he's not going to bring us to glory because of our good works. He is going to do it. The good work of salvation from beginning to end. Thanks be to God. It does not depend on us or our work. Because of his work for us, we are free to work without the burden to prove ourselves, justify ourselves, or earn our salvation. In other words, we are now freed up to work for the glory of God. And this is what we are commanded to do. In Colossians 3, 23 through 24, we read, Whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ Christ. Whatever task, whatever chore, whatever project, whatever assignment, whatever job is before you, work at it as for the Lord. The Lord Jesus is ultimately the one for whom you are working. Your work for him is never in vain. When you work heartily as for the Lord, he sees you. He's pleased with you and he will reward you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. We praise you for your work in creation. We praise you for your work in our salvation. We thank you that though we have failed, though we have sinned against you, and though we can never do enough work to please you, to honor you on our own, that you have provided Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, whose finished work upon the cross is enough to cover all of our sins. We thank you for applying his work on the cross to our hearts, to our lives, through your Holy Spirit. We thank you that we are born again to a new and living hope. And we thank you that those who are as those who are born again, we can now work for your glory. And so we pray that your word would shape and mold us as workers. We pray that your word would shape how we work and why we work. And we pray, Lord, that we will work heartily at every task that you've given us as unto you knowing that you see us and reward us. You are good. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.